morning. Let's get to the chopper. Let's go. Welcome to Arnie Geddon. I'm Cam Smith. And I'm Tony G. And we're here this time to take on The Expendables 3. <laughs> yeah, we've sat through two of them and we made it through a third. Yes, we've reached the end point, question mark. Yeah, who knows? Expendables 4 is... Uh... But anyways, we'll save... <laughs> um, yeah, who knows if we'll see an Expendables 4, but uh, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. And then blow it up afterwards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Tony, I remember the two of us went in 2014 to see The Expendables 3, just as we had done with every previous Expendables movie. We made the pilgrimage to the theater. We yeah. always walked out and went, yeah, that was kind of fun. And then promptly <laughs> forgot about the movies. Yeah, but the company was nice, if, <laughs> even if the movie wasn't spectacular. We should have bought popcorn, though. That would have made the uh, maybe the trip a little more memorable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, what was your memories of watching The Expendables 3? Well, I remember it being about the same as Expendables 1 and 2, which is <laughs> kind of hard to follow, kind of disposable. Uh, a lot of cool action scenes and a lot of scenes that you just kind of had to shake your head at and suspend disbelief. I mean, if disbelief could be any more suspended, uh, I don't know, you'd have to hang it on a Christmas tree or something like that. And then blow it up afterwards. (laughs) Yeah, correct. (laughs) Yeah. My memories of this one, I I remember the more, the pre-release stuff better. Like, because I remember there was a lot of people angry when it was rated PG-13. Oh, boy. Um, I remember that a lot of people were ripping on the movie's poster for using the exact same font as the Fast and the Furious movies. Um, I remember people getting really up in arms, you know, fans of the series getting up in arms over Stallone announcing they were going to bring in a bunch of young Expendables in this one. And perhaps most controversially... I remember people being upset about the addition of Frasier as the yes, handler of the Expendables. Yeah, I remember everyone made fun of that. And there was a character poster they put out for that movie that's amazing. <laughs> With uh, Dr. Frasier Crane? He just looks schlumpy wearing that Tilly hat. And it's just this one-shot poster. Whoever got those posters afterwards from the theaters, my hat's off to you because that's an amazing poster to have. Yeah, I actually do remember the the campaign leading up to this. There was, um, I think, no fewer than 16 of these posters uh, released, or somewhere in that neighborhood, because there's about that many characters in The Expendables 3. It's like watching an Avengers movie where everybody's all the, the Avengers same... suck. <laughs> yeah, we're all, everyone's the same character. <laughs> and the movie doesn't try to accommodate them. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Yeah, um... Yeah, so the actual movie itself, I think the thing I was most excited about 
you know, when I went into the movie was seeing Mel Gibson as the villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was a bit of a comeback movie for him. Like, he'd been definitely on rocky footing in Hollywood for a while. Yeah. He had a bit of trouble after Apocalypto in 2006. and Yes. Had Personal a, problems. Had a few comments that were released that were maybe of uh, questionable yes. <laughs> moral fortitude. Yes. And at this time he was i can't remember if this movie was before or after he was doing like um the machete sequel and that kind of thing i feel like that might have been first but i i don't know for sure but yeah he'd done that movie the beaver that was supposed to be his comeback and then it did not really do very well at all financially and critically got kind of mixed reviews and then he signed on to this as the villain and i i went in kind of hoping just to see a fun villain performance out of him because Van Damme was just awesome and so I thought okay well if anyone can do kind of a crazed villain in the sequel who better than Mel Gibson right it's Mad Max Mm -hmm. Martin Riggs like this should be awesome in theory and so I went to the movie and my main memories were like I really appreciated his scenes but like maybe at this point and I don't know if this is so much at the time aimed negatively at the actual Expendables 3, but it just kind of felt like old hat at this point. Like, I'd seen three of these movies. They were always kind of the same. They're all in Bulgaria, it seems. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're well, all having big shootouts in warehouses. Or or, or they're in uh, fictional countries that end with Stan. Yeah, Asmanistan in this case. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and so like it was kind of like, eh, I guess, whatever. But I do remember there was a scene in a van with Mel Gibson I thought was really, really fun. But other than that, when this one was over, I wasn't crying for more Expendables. I was just like, okay, I guess. But I remember even at the time feeling like when they were hyping that they were bringing in, as you mentioned, you know, Kelsey Grammer, um, Antonio Banderas, I, I remember just thinking like, we're kind of getting a little low, lower down on the pecking order for action movie icons. And I don't know that there's a lot of room for a, you know, fourth movie to improve upon that. Yeah, I don't know if we're getting too far down the the pecking order here. I was definitely excited at the time uh, with of the addition of Wesley Snipes, who we hadn't seen a lot of him because he'd had his own troubles. He'd been spending a bit of time in uh, prison and on video. Right, and, and the movie actually acknowledges that he was in prison in this case. Yeah, that's one of the better lines in the film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, likewise, I mean, I, I love say desperado uh and i i thought antonio banderas might add a little something different to it i mean Uh, i love desperado big time too but do you consider antonio banderas an action icon uh well i don't know i think we went to see ballistic x versus sever in the in the theater a little a little before expendables 3 one of the worst films ever made notoriously so and i went and saw assassins in theaters as well yeah so maybe not an icon but, but uh, I guess he'd done some stuff. I guess I'm being unfair to him, but it had been a long time since he'd been like doing action movies as well. Sure, but I wasn't as excited, strangely enough, about having, say, Harrison Ford in. I don't really consider him to be an action icon. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, you didn't seem very excited here. I kind of understood why they were adding Ronda Rousey, uh, but I wasn't that interested in a lot of the classic kind of... This is our third time through it. Let's add a younger group. Yeah, because especially after you had Liam Hemsworth in the previous one. Mm -hmm. But I think maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves and kind of falling into, you know, what we think of the movie now. So why don't we just kind of talk a little bit about uh, the uh, the box office for this movie. So Expendables 1 comes out. Pretty big hit. 
makes 103 million dollars domestic, 171 worldwide for a total of 274. The second one doesn't do as well in North America. It makes 85 million um, domestically, but overseas makes 230 million for a total of 314. So Expendables is on the rise as a franchise with the second one, which is why they went with a PG-13 because their theory was, if we open the doors to teenagers, this thing is going to explode. And I think that it's not just me. I think Stallone himself has acknowledged that that may have been a bit of a miscalculation. He called it a horrible miscalculation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, um, and he said it will never happen again. <laughs> but the movie opened in the, I think, the you know closing days of summer of 2014. And it wound up making... 39 million domestic and 175 worldwide. So, you know, it still did okay, but it made less than the previous one for a total of 215 million, which this movie cost close to a hundred million dollars. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they say you want to double your budget to make some money. So really, they just kind of broke even on this one. Which I've never really understood. I know they say that. I kind of feel like that's just... Uh, Hollywood execs and high-paid actors saying, oh yeah, you know, if we don't double our money, we're basically breaking even. But don't you feel like with this franchise in particular, there's a lot of backdoor deals for percentage points where like a lot of what the movie's making is going out to, you know, Stallone and some of these other guys who have points on the back end? Oh, probably. But when you think about it, uh, and maybe this is just a reflection of the (laughs) crazy mixed up expendable world we live in, uh, the Expendables franchise pulled in in the neighborhood of $700 million. Correct. Uh, globally, right? That's That seems to me like a lot of money to be put into the Expendables franchise, as, as much as I like it. No, I agree 100%. Yeah. <laughs> but it was ultimately... Couldn't we have cured world hunger or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that'd be a hell of a Kickstarter campaign. Instead of seeing an Expendables movie, let's uh, let's you know fix homelessness or something like that. Sure, sure. <laughs> Instead of blowing up their uh, yeah. their homeland. Yeah. yeah. So this movie was number eighty for the year, domestically or internationally. Domestically, mm-hmm. and it fell right between Dolphin Tale Two. Was and- Dolph Lundgren in that? <laughs> and Earth to Echo. I have no idea what Earth to Echo is, it must be said. <laughs> now, we've talked a bit about the year 2014 when we did our Sabotage episode, so I'm just going to run through the top 10 really quick because we talk about it a little more in depth there. But starting at number one and moving our way down to 10, we had American Sniper, Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 1, Guardians of the Galaxy, Captain America Winter Soldier, The Lego Movie. The Hobbit, Battle of the Five Armies, Transformers Age of Extinction, Maleficent, X-Men Days of Future Past, and Big Hero 6. And I was curious, at number 80, um, what did better that maybe falls in kind of that similar action bracket? Because I feel like this movie is trying to do old school action and people aren't really showing up for it. But I was curious what did better that kind of falls into these sort of, right. you know, meat and potato action movie kind of mold. And so at number 77... You had John Wick, which didn't earn a lot with the first movie. I mean, it did like $45 million or $43 million, but definitely took off at home and is now a very viable franchise. 
Yeah, I mean, John Wick was really uh, the definition of a cult classic there. It just Definitely. Word, got, got around with word of mouth, showed up on some streaming services, and before you knew it... Everyone had seen it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like, John Wick 3 is opening up this summer. They're actually opening it in the summer. So that shows you how far that franchise has gone, where they're actually seeing it as, like, tentpole movies in the summer. And I'm pretty sure that John Wick 3 is going to beat Expendables 3 at the box office. I think there's a really good chance of that. And so, yeah, uh, also above it, number 65 was Jack Ryan's Shadow Recruit. A movie I don't think any human being remembers the details of. Uh, I couldn't tell you. I I have to admit I did not see Jack Ryan's Shadow Recruit. I did. I saw it in theaters. He did? Yeah, it was Kenneth Branagh directed it. And it was his follow-up to Thor, I think. And... um, Chris Pine was in it. That's all I can really say. Uh, it was probably better than some of the other uh, Jack Ryan movies, but not as good as some of the other Jack Ryan movies. <laughs> That's what I have to say about that. It was no hunt for Red October. No, it was not. Uh, it was probably better than some of all fears. That's my guess. Uh, number 56 was RoboCop, the remake. Which, you know, at some point, <laughs> once we run out of Schwarzenegger movies, we might actually touch on that one because it's... Um... It's not at all related, but for some reason we just want to talk about uh, well, it. Well, we'll get into degrees of Schwarzenegger. You know, <laughs> yeah. we got Paul Verhoeven. Sure, sure. Something like that. Paul Verhoeven had nothing to do with that movie, though. <laughs> we'll, we'll have a dystopian sci-fi episode. I don't know. But anyways, go sure. on. And then, uh, lastly, number 46 is kind of interesting because it's Hercules, the Rocks movie. Uh, Dwayne Johnson, who's who's kind of the, you know, next in line after Arnold as your action hero, you know, A-lister. But that was a disappointment for him, that Hercules movie. W- was that a Kellen Lutz vehicle? It's funny you say that because uh, that was, I think, the same year, The Legend of Hercules. <laughs> and that was, like, way, 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 way down the list. But, um... That movie's terrible. But the the Rock one's no scream in hell either. I'm still holding on for a Kevin Sorbo Hercules. <laughs> uh, Brett Ratner directed that Rock one, though, so that's a little uncomfortable nowadays. Um, other than that, not a lot to report. Other than, you know, down at number 133, Arnold also had Sabotage. So not, you know, a great year for Arnold Schwarzenegger in 2014, at least domestically. But it is a great year for Arnold Starring in sub top fifty uh, ensemble <laughs> pieces about violent sociopaths. Yeah, that call, refer to themselves as family as if they're juggalos, <laughs> and are called in by the CIA or the FBI or something like that to fix things by blowing everything up. Correct. Okay. Correct. Good. Good. Yeah. So, um, if you haven't listened to it, by the way, uh, we I think it wasn't that long ago we released our sabotage episode. That's right. Uh, I can almost assure you that you haven't watched sabotage because <laughs> no one did but yeah. uh if you can find it give it a watch it's a very uncomfortable movie to sit through and download our last podcast episode on it so the expendables 3 is arnold schwarzenegger's 17th highest grossing movie uh right between conan the barbarian and terminator of course those are in like 1980s dollars versus you know 2014 dollars um and then for stallone this is number 23 between rocky 5 and judge dread so, Expendables 3 is generally ranked between Stallone's bombs and Schwarzenegger's best. <laughs> well, that's not so bad. I, I do wish they would adjust these lists for inflation because it really it really doesn't uh, reflect at all on... Uh, I mean, comparing 1980s dollars to 2014 dollars doesn't really help. No, it just makes the 2014 one look worse, though. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> so, this movie is directed by Patrick Hughes who was brought on on the strength of, of a movie he made called Red Hill. I've never seen Red Hill. Have you even heard of it, really? 
Uh, I've I've heard of it. I, yeah. I don't think it had a very wide box office release. He he was he had done a lot of commercials and I think music videos and that type of thing. And uh, he was brought in largely on that basis. And he did Red Hill, which was critically fairly well received, but uh, not a commercial success. I don't think uh, he went on and did the Hitman's Bodyguard after this, which was actually something of a hit. And they're making a sequel to it right now called. The Hitman's Bodyguard's Wife's Bodyguard or something like that. It's something, it's a very convoluted <laughs> the, title. The cook, the thief, yeah. his wife and her bodyguard. <laughs> yeah, it's something like that. But um, yeah, so Patrick Hughes is really busy with a franchise now, which is kind of interesting. Uh, I don't, have you, did you ever see The Hitman's Bodyguard? I did, to be honest. Oh, I, you did? Yeah, I, I did. I didn't really enjoy it that much, actually. I thought it was uh, pretty, pretty hacked. And I know a lot of people really liked it, but I, it seemed like, uh, you know, a good vehicle for Ryan Reynolds and Samuel L. Jackson, but I didn't find it that entertaining. It, it struck me as kind of classic two-star fare, you know what I mean? Right, right, right. Yeah, I was going to watch it on Netflix, and then I just thought, no. <laughs> I turned yeah. off the TV and went to bed or something. <laughs> read a book. Yeah, read a book. Maybe organized my stamp collection. Yeah, did your taxes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Expendables 3 had a kind of weird development where like everyone was being rumored for this movie Seagal said he was being offered a role I know Nick Cage was attached at some point yeah the producers were really planning to get Mickey Rourke back they approached Clint Eastwood who must have laughed them out of the room get off my lawn (laughs) Um, Chuck Norris was like count me out (laughs) well she gotta wonder why it's not like Chuck Norris was that busy these days now Van Damme was interested he's still interested he's still interested in the fourth one he wanted to play a twin of his character from the second one Um, Jackie Chan was actually going to join in a minor role do you think it would have been the Kelsey Grammer one I'm not sure I'd certainly hope not Jackie Chan's such a fantastic physical performer you'd hope you'd have him doing something besides sitting in cars and going from (laughs) bringing the team together montage i mean i would hope but they say minor role maybe it's something that was just cut entirely i don't really know maybe he was literally going to be a minor they were going to (laughs) give him a pickaxe and a headlamp (laughs) maybe he was going to be like mel gibson's sidekick or something like that for a couple scenes i don't know but ultimately he had to drop out because of scheduling Mila Jovovich was in negotiations to join as well. I think she would have been a fantastic addition. Yeah, I'm guessing the Ronda Rousey role? I'm guessing something like that, or maybe maybe on the Mel Gibson side, the bad one of the bad guys. Sure, I guess. Um, but ultimately, none of that stuff happened, and we got what we got. <laughs> 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 so, Tony... <laughs> well said. What did you... <laughs> Okay, so Tony, what is The Expendables 3 about? Well, Cam, I'm glad you asked. Are you? <laughs> well, it's my it's generally my part of the podcast to muddle through a poor uh, poor explanation of the uh, plot summary. Can't be any poorer than the movie. <laughs> yeah. Ah, right, come on. We're not we're not there yet, and you're, I think you're judging it harshly in advance. Well, Barney Ross and The Expendables are back yes. for a third adventure. Right. Where they find out that one of their own, one of the former own, played by Mel Gibson, is uh, now a lucrative international arms dealer, and he uh, hurts one of the current Expendables quite badly. Right. And it really upsets them. So they decide that they're going to kill him. And in a somewhat confusing fashion, they're sent on a mission to not kill him. 
And, you know, eventually things progress from there. A lot of guys get killed on the way. Sure. And uh, it's not really the kind of script that you need to worry too much about. I think you're missing a key detail, though. Oh, am I? And that this is a movie that feels like the Barney Ross solo movie. Because Stallone, his character in this one, you know, after the uh, after Terry Crews' character Caesar is injured by Mel Gibson, he disbands the team. And then goes and assembles a team of hot young people. To help him take down Conrad Stonebanks. Well, I didn't want to get too detailed. Well, I think that's important, though. and that <laughs> It's important. Ultimately, I, I, this I movie agree. is really about how the old ways need to mesh with the, the new ways. I, I will admit, and it pains me to do so, my, my plot summary part of this podcast is probably the least important part of this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Generally, not particularly helpful. Fair enough. To be fair to you, though... The actual plot of The Expendables 3 is pretty unwieldy. I think that's just an Expendables thing. I actually found the the plot of this movie to be way more easy to follow than the plot of the first two. But I feel like the villain stuff was actually more confusing than the previous ones. When you actually break it down. Like, the stuff in the previous movies was really, really simple. Where it was like the bad guy came into town, took over like a local village to make drugs, and that was about the end of it. Yeah, but what was confusing about about Expendables 3? What was more confusing about this one? I just feel like there's more going on with this Mel Gibson character than the movie's really explaining. And so it's just kind of like a revenge quest, but I don't really know that much as to what Mel Gibson's character is doing moment to moment. He's selling weapons. He, he, you know, it's, it's alluded to that he may even have access to nuclear weapons that he's willing to sell to the right buyer. Maybe. He's, he's buying art. That's true. And using that art to smuggle other weapons. Okay, we're getting ahead of ourselves now. I don't think we are. I think we're <laughs> right in the middle of where we need to be. <laughs> this movie is not confusing. Okay, fair enough. Uh, it, it's what is confusing about it is there's a especially with the younger characters. There's a bunch of interchangeable people who are introduced in a lengthy montage as all having very complementary and diverse skills but pretty much all do exactly the same thing <laughs> in the movie isn't that what all the expendables really do though yeah and i and i guess we can we can get into that so uh, tony what did you think of the movie this time <laughs> uh i feel pretty similar to how i remember feeling about when i saw it the first time which is yep good enough okay yeah it's like they sure killed a lot of people in this movie. Yes, and we did, uh, we should say, watch the unrated uh, home video cut. Uh, there was a version that was put out with, that I think had like five extra minutes on it. The theatrical was just over two hours, and this one's two hours, 11 minutes. So a lot of the violence is added back in, but there's no blood. Mm-hmm. So I thought the, uh, you know, I thought the action was done relatively well. Uh, the movie could have been a bit shorter. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but on the whole I, I i enjoyed it if i you know looking for uh an action fix with a bunch of old stars and you know fresh new attractive stars <laughs> killing people <laughs> i mean it's pretty much that in a, in a nutshell yeah um so i've had an interesting journey in revisiting these expendables movies and that like when i saw the first three in theaters or all, all three of them in theaters I kind of all walked out of all three being like thinking they were all kind of just about the same quality wise. Like there was no real gaps or differences. It was just like, yep, that was just as good as the last one. 
This time I haven't found that to be the case. I have found they've actually been getting weaker with each one. And I feel like the first one is my favorite because it's crazy. Like the dialogue is insane. The acting is all over the map. The violence is over the top and crazy. Like the movie is just kind of this like pumped up hallucination of an action movie. Like I find it really fun for that reason. The second one is also pretty fun. But it also gets really goofy. Like, it's far more comedic than the first one. And just far broader. And, you know, some of the action gets a little generic. But it's always kind of relying on this goofball quotient. That the first one doesn't quite go there for. I feel like the first one isn't in on the joke. But the second one is. Whereas I feel like the third one is playing it the most straight of any of them. It actually feels like a lot of the edges have been filed down. Like, I would probably say this is the most competently made of the movies in the sense of like yes this looks like a professional motion picture you would show in theaters <laughs> yeah whereas like the other ones all had like this kind of crazy outsider edge to them that made them kind of weird yeah that's true whereas like this one i watch it and i'm like this completely works as something that i would go and watch in a theater and forget about kind of like some of the lesser liam neeson action movies mm-hmm. um but like is that what i want out of this movie the performances are all kind of fine. There's nothing crazy or weird like your Mickey Rourke performance in the original or some of the weirder Van Damme moments in the second one or like or um Chuck Norris just falling asleep in the second one. But this one has like more efficient character, you know, work. The dialogue is a little better, I guess. But that also to me makes it less fun. And so yeah. I kind of have this reaction where I'm like it's better, I guess, made than the previous two, but I also find it less memorable and less fun. I'll agree with you, especially some of the jokes. Uh, like, And we talked about it, I think, at length in our review of Expendables and Expendables 2. There's a lot of lines in those movies uh, where it's hard to tell, one, what the purpose of the line is. Yeah. If it's supposed to be funny. You can't even tell, really, what it is they're talking about. Here... <laughs> You understand, oh, oh, they're making a joke. Yes. It's just a matter of, I I now get that they're making a joke, I just don't really get the joke. Right. And you don't get those, like, really weird Randy Couture moments in this one as much. Like, that's something I really began to treasure (laughs) in those previous two, was awkward Randy Couture moments. Well, you do have that locket with Randy Couture's picture (laughs) on the inside. Or just, like, the number of terrible jokes is, like, really brought down in this one like there's a few there's probably like five or six or something but like the previous especially the second one it's like all jokes beginning to end and they're all terrible (laughs) yeah they're just not even close to funny no and i just feel like some of the uh you know some of the actors get less interesting things to do here than in the previous ones like this is the stallone movie well that was one of the issues i think with expendables 3 right so in in the expendables they established that everybody, you know, a classic ensemble piece where everybody has their role in the group. Yeah. And with the Expendables, you got the impression, okay, all these guys are pretty competent at just generally killing people. Right. But you had uh, Jason Statham as Lee Christmas, the knife guy. You had uh, Dolph Lundgren as the, um, I guess, the weapons expert. Randy Couture as Toll Road, the demolitions expert. Terry Crews as Hail Caesar, the heavy weapons guy. Yeah. Uh, and so on. And Don't forget Jet Li as Yin Yang. Yeah, Jet Li as Yin Yang, the, I guess the hand-to-hand combat. Does anyone want out of this franchise more than Jet Li? 
Well, he keeps coming back. For like, it's got to be like two days of shooting. <laughs> yeah, maybe he was busy. But they all have these, they all have these roles. And, and they do the same thing. Even in, in Expendables 3, they fire all the old guys. And they bring in all the new guys. And you, they establish, okay, there's one guy. He's a, a hacker and a climber. There's the Ronda Rousey's the close quarters combat person. Uh, I guess the the Jet Li equivalent is supposed to be Antonio Banderas. I couldn't really tell. Sure. Um, you have uh, I think it was I think it was Kellen Lutz's character uh, who was the he's kind of the Barney Ross now. Even yeah, the weapons expert guy. Yeah, and Victor Ortiz is kind of the I guess maybe a bit of the Terry Crews. He always seems to have oh. like major weapons with him, or yeah, also maybe, maybe a, a little bit of the Dolph Lundgren. Yeah, and so and I guess yeah, Kellen Lutz is. I guess I I said the weapons guys more. I guess the head case slash. Oh, he could be groomed to be the new leader type guy. Right. But so they all have these roles. This is like ten characters, all with these roles that are specifically defined at length and taking a fair amount of time to do so. In and the Kelsey film. Grammer actually explains their specialties, so we know they have specific spe- uh, specialties. Yeah, and and in this movie though. Nobody ever actually specifically, or they rarely use their specific specialties for anything. I uh, guess Ronda Rousey kind of does. She does have a couple fight scenes, but you know, you are right for the most part. Uh, for example, one of the things that really stuck out to me is uh, there at one point in the movie, they're all caught in a building that's been uh, rigged with uh, C4 explosives. Right. Now, who do you think would be the person to disable these explosives if it were me i'd turn to my explosives expert right uh randy couture sure is he an explosives expert yeah that's that's his job man that character sucks <laughs> yeah he, re- he reads books makes some weird jokes <laughs> never <laughs> disables explosives it fades into the background <laughs> yeah um i feel kind of i feel kind of bad although i think he, he isn't quite as awkward in this movie as maybe he was in the first one he has an amazing moment though in a bar during a montage where he's sitting by himself, and then he looks over at a group of people all having fun together, <laughs> and then hangs his head. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, but the I think that's one of the issues with Expendables Three. I just want to stick on that is all of the characters are pretty interchangeable. Yeah, uh, where you didn't really have that in the first one. In the first one, you really got the impression that everybody had their role and more or less stuck to it. I mean, we made a couple comments when we watched that one you know jet lee could have maybe had a little bit more uh more hand-to-hand combat to do yeah but on the whole you kind of got the idea and this this movie kind of goes the same route that um, one of these ensemble sequels tends to go down you see the same thing and say like the oceans 11 sequels and that sort of thing where eventually everybody's just doing the same thing right yeah and they start bringing in guest stars to to take up screen time. Right. Yeah, and like, you know, I feel like the first Expendables movie, say what you will about it, Stallone was actually giving the whole team a lot to do, and he was directing that movie as well. Like, he was probably busy with the directing, so he was actually allowing the other co-stars to carry a lot of the screen time. And Jason Statham in particular had a lot to do in that first one. Whereas, like, by the by this point, Stallone is only doing, like, story credits and co-writing the screenplay, and otherwise, he's free to act in these things as much as he wants. And so he really is just taking over this franchise by himself. And I think it's to the detriment of the movie. Like, I talked in the pre- with uh, Expendables 2 
that that movie had this really mopey character arc for Barney Ross. And I think this franchise is usually pretty, you know, high octane and fun and goofy. And yet in that movie, Stallone wanted this miserable character arc where Barney Ross is like mourning, I don't know, sad things the whole movie. And it's like, this just doesn't work in this movie, which is otherwise so goofy. In this one, again, it says Barney Ross Journey of the Soul, where he's trying to decide, you know, and, isn't expendable ever really expendable? <laughs> and no one else really has a lot of opportunity to emote, except no. except in that one really beautifully put together uh, sadness, the the sadness and loneliness musical montage. Yeah, when which he, I referenced with Randy yeah, Couture at when the he bar. Did, yeah, yeah, when he dissolves the team. Yeah, exactly. They're all sitting around on their beds moping, but... Like, to me, I don't think it makes a lot of sense to have your movie open with the Expendables, remind the audience how fun they are, and then shuffle them off screen. Mm -hmm. And then bring in these kids who, I mean, no real offense to any of these young actors, but boy, is there a gulf in quality and charisma between the original Expendables and these new Expendables. I mean, they are mostly walking planks of wood. To be fair to them, I don't think they were really given very well-defined characters. But just look at what those other actors do with nothing. You can give them nothing dialogue, and somehow they're still fun. I guess that's true. The original Expendables, uh, including Mickey Rourke, yeah. uh, who wasn't in the last two, uh, each one of them kind of did bring uh, a very unhinged kind of characteristic <laughs> to to their characters yeah that was really fun to watch even if it didn't work yes whereas like this group uh, whatever my memory was actually that they turned evil and uh <laughs> i was actually disappointed when i rewatched it and i was like oh no that doesn't happen because <laughs> i thought they were going to wipe them out by the end you know i never really thought of it but when you think about it like the the characters that they've added in in expendables 3 uh the the new characters that are probably the most compelling and the most fun to watch, in my mind, are Wesley Snipes and Mel Gibson. Yeah, and uh, Antonio Banderas, I think, arguably. I think he, his character is a little more grating, perhaps. But um, what did you like about Wesley Snipes? Because I thought he was fantastic. What I liked about him was pretty much what gets me excited about going to see a movie like The Expendables, where he's a guy who hadn't really seen a lot of screen time, uh, hasn't really seen a lot of screen time since, to be honest. Yeah. We already mentioned his legal troubles. He'd, he'd gone to prison for, I think, tax evasion or tax fraud. Yeah. Uh, before that, he wasn't exactly hitting them out of the park. I think the last big movie he had done was maybe Blade Trinity. Which was a disaster production as well. And, and then a lot of straight-to-video stuff. And it was great to see Passenger 57 come back and just totally demolish a a train full of disposable uh, <laughs> military prison mooks. Yeah, in one of those classic Expendables opening action sequences. Yeah, which which was fantastic. Yeah, it was fun. And, and you know, and sneer and glare and look crazy, uh, make weird declarations about how he's a medic, but never really actually help anyone out <laughs> medically. Well, he did help Terry Crews. I guess he did. They all were helping him a little bit. I mean... I mean, he has this weird catchphrase where he goes like "Jangalang" yeah. a lot, and I like that. Like, I feel like he is bringing an energy to this movie that is what you go to this movie for. Mm -hmm. He is exploding off the screen in terms of giving a larger-than-life 
kind of strange performance. And I, I feel like that's what you want. That's what Dolph Lundgren was doing. Uh, I feel like more so in the first two, not as much here. But it's like that sort of stuff makes these movies memorable. And I, I, I think Wesley Snipes is fantastic. And I think it's a real bummer that he opens the movie so strongly and gets to feature in the first two action sequences and then really does fade into the background. It just kind of disappears. Well, a lot of the characters disappear. We, we, I know. We don't see a lot of Dolph Lundgren. We don't see a lot of Randy Couture. Terry Crews spends most of the movie in a hospital bed. Yeah, taking the Jet Li <laughs> ride right out of the movie. And it's, it's really Barney Ross uh, and, and these new recruits. Yeah. Um, you know, you referenced Mel Gibson. What did you think of him as the villain? I thought he was amazing. I, I mean, I love Mel Gibson as an actor. I mean, he is a top quality bona fide actor with serious chops i mean he we've seen it you can you've seen him do everything from shakespeare to uh unhinged action films yeah and he always does a good job or almost always does a good job and it was really good to see him because i don't think we would see mel gibson doing a movie like this maybe 10 years earlier when he was in his heyday if his career hadn't been in trouble he's not in the expendables 3 yeah exactly yeah um i think he's really fun in this movie you could tell that the uh, director and writers behind The Expendables 3 really like The Dark Knight. Because he has scenes that feel like they're ripped right out of The Dark Knight. The scene in the van where he's having the talk with Barney Ross and he's, you know, Barney Ross is like, I'm not as sick as you are. He's like, oh, but you are. And it, it feels very much like that interrogation scene in The Dark Knight where he's like daring him to punch him. And when he does, he's like laughing and cackling. And it's just all these threats going back and forth. Like, it feels very Dark Knight. Even the score, actually, is kind of evoking the Dark mm -hmm. Knight score. And, like, I think Mel Gibson's performance in this is really kind of fun in that similarly unhinged kind of way. You never know what that character is going to do. The art scene is really fun where he's buying art. It's really strange dialogue. Like, I feel mm -hmm. like Mel Gibson's giving this character far more than the character really deserves or that is on the page, probably. Well, you got to feel like they probably picked up... Uh, Mel Gibson at a bit of a discount given where oh, yeah. given where his career was. So he's he's basically a, a, a top caliber actor that wouldn't normally be in a movie like this. That they they got an opportunity to basically pick him up off waivers and uh, have a way way more actor for the money than they otherwise would have. Definitely. Um, if Mel Gibson hadn't had the troubles that he had at the time. Yeah, but he's fun, and I think. Following up on Van Damme, you know, he also delivers a lot as a villain. Um, and, you know, I don't think this character is particularly great, but I think Mel Gibson brings a lot to the role. Um, so I referenced Antonio Banderas. What do you think of this character? Because I know he's a little polarizing with people as uh, Galgo. I really didn't like him when he was first introduced. Yeah, uh, doing parkour. <laughs> it's like Antonio Banderas, who's like 55 years old, comes like vaulting into the frame like a Cirque du Soleil performer. It's funny. I actually was thinking about this when we watched this movie, and I'll, that this, this movie is definitely in that maybe 10-year period where they were just putting parkour and everything they could. Yeah, although, you know what? I feel like this is actually behind the curve on the parkour craze. Yeah, probably. Because I feel like that was a joke in 2008 when the Punisher Warzone had the guy doing parkour that they shot with a rocket launcher. <laughs> like, I feel like that was the end of the parkour craze. Like, they were acknowledging it right in that moment. And so, this is six years after Punisher Warzone. <laughs> Whatever the case, I mean, we have Antonio Banderas. We have two characters doing parkour, both Antonio Banderas and uh, Wesley Snipes. Right. But 
I mean, his character's a little bit grating. He's kind of supposed to be, I guess, but by the end of the movie, I thought he was a good addition to the to the cast. I found a lot of his rambling dialogue just boring. Like, it, it wasn't fun to listen to. Like, it wasn't like one of those uh, hyper-frenetic characters that you listen to and you find him amusing. Like, maybe like a Steve Buscemi kind of character. He was more like someone I just wanted to shut up. Like, when he was doing his action moments, I thought he was great. Like, I loved the final action sequence where he's running around gunning guys down because his way of performing action feels very different than what you're seeing from, like, Randy Couture and, uh, you know, um, like, Dolph Lundgren and all those guys. Like, you know, Antonio Banderas is not a big guy. He's nimble. He's doing kind of acrobatic little moves. Like, he feels like a really fun character physically. It, it actually really brought back some of the scenes from Desperado, like the bar fight scene in Desperado. Sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. If, if you remember that one. The, oh, yeah. The the two guns, uh, a lot of over-the-back shots and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, like, I, I'm mixed on the character. Like, he's a character who, if they ever made a fourth one, I wouldn't really care if he didn't come back. <laughs> but uh, in this one, he has some fun moments. He's no Wesley Snipes, though. Like, Wesley Snipes gets the MVP for the new people, for me. Yeah, as soon as he, as soon as he shaved off his beard with, uh, you know, basically a bayonet short sword. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure what kind of knife he was using there, but it was <laughs> quite large. Now, Tony, what do you think about Harrison Ford? <laughs> As a drummer. Drummer's in the house. Uh, like a lot of drummers, the band probably could have gone on without him. <laughs> Harrison Ford can often be accused of phoning it in in a lot of movies. Pretty much anything, like there's a lot of movies post like Hollywood Homicide where it's just like Harrison Ford just showing up. It felt like he just showed up here. Which is funny because he was replacing um, Bruce Willis. Yeah. Who apparently refused to appear in this movie over... Uh, he wanted, I think, uh, $4 million for three days of shooting and they offered him $3 million. No, no, it was... They, gave, they offered him uh, $3 million for four days of shooting and he wanted a million a day. So... Basically, which just cements my opinion of uh, what goes on in the upper echelons of Hollywood is yeah. just being totally insane. After he was removed from the movie, um, Stallone tweeted, Greedy and lazy, a sure formula for career failure. <laughs> I don't know that you can say career failure when you're like an icon with like countless hits under your belt, but I get the point. Which, you know, it's funny because I thought they were buddies. Yeah, but... well, they were. But, uh, I mean, Harrison Ford comes in and basically replaces Bruce Willis, who's been accused of phoning it in in a lot of movies, yeah. especially around this era. There's a funny line, too. They actually say in the movie, um, church is out of the picture. And I was like, ha-ha, oh, meta joke right there. You know, he's out of the picture, Tony. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, drummer, though, this character is pretty lame. <laughs> like, he's really lame. Like, Bruce Willis... Say what you will about the guy. Um, I thought he was actually kind of fun in the previous two movies. Like, there was something about the church character that had a certain sinister nature to him. Like, I could actually see him becoming a villain or something. Or it seemed like they were planting seeds for something down the road. Uh-huh. Drummer. <laughs> the only seeds that are being planted is to a nap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's hard to understand really what Harrison Ford was doing in this movie because um he must have just been bored and thought why not it's a few days because like there's a scene at the end where he's in a helicopter and he's in the helicopter with schwarzenegger and jet lee 
but he is never shot within the same frame as those two. Oh, you you know that basically they had him for a day or two in the studio, yeah. put him in the um, put him in the helicopter set, and just gave him like eighty lines to read, and they cut those in the movie where it seemed appropriate. Eighty lines—that's too many. Can you cut it down? <laughs> Here I come. I'm I'm in my helicopter. <laughs> I'm reminded of the movie Apocalypse Now, only less interesting. Yeah, the music. Uh, anyways, drummers here, in the house. I'll, I'll go to the roof. <laughs> uh, a lot, of, a lot of kind of flat delivery. Snakes. I, uh, Why did it have to be snakes? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, Harrison Ford is such a he's such a fantastic actor. I know he's such a he's such a frustrating performer because when he's good, he's amazing. But when he phones it in. Boy, does he phone it in. You know, I gotta... I gotta think that uh, he probably wasn't on set that much. Right? He had maybe maybe two or three scenes that were actually out of that stupid helicopter. Yeah. And he probably he probably didn't get a, have a good sense of what the flow of the movie was and was really relying on, on the director to explain to him what his character was actually there for. <laughs> Expendables. Why did it have to be Expendables? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's wasted in this movie. Yes, he is. Uh, there's a scene uh, where he's in the back of a car talking on the phone to Stallone. And that scene pretty much sums up uh, Ford's performance in this movie. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, pretty, pretty, pretty monotone. Pretty monotone. Um, man, why couldn't he have brought some of that Han Solo, Indiana Jones energy? It's a bummer. Although, to be fair, he wasn't written anything good either. Yeah. No, I mean, we're going through all the, the new characters that they, sure. they've brought in. But since we're hovering around the 40-minute the mark here, and this is an Arnold Schwarzenegger podcast. Yes. I think we would be... Remiss re- not to talk about Kelsey Grammer. What did you think about Kelsey Grammer? <laughs> Uh, we'll get to Kelsey Grammer. I think we should talk about Arnold Schwarzenegger. Fair enough. Um, what did you think about him? You know, Arnold, I think I complained in Expendables 2 how Arnold had nothing to do but give lines that were referencing his past, uh, you know, catchphrases. Like, that's all his dialogue was in the Expendables 2. But I actually think he was probably had better stuff to do in the second one than in this one. He didn't have a ton to do here, did he? It's like plot function stuff. Like, yeah, he's going to be the one that flies the plane to drop Stallone off to go run a mission. And things like that. He gives a bit of exposition. There's no real character, that Trench figure, in this movie either. Like, I never got any sort of personality out of the character except until the very, very, very end. Um, and so it's like, okay, whatever. He doesn't get the cool shootout stuff he got in the second one. Uh, he doesn't get to save the day like he did in the second one, really. In fact, he he even remarks while he's waiting at the plane for Barney Ross to come back. Uh, one of his lines in the movie is, this, well, hurry up, it's boring. Yeah. And then at the end, he's just in the back of that chopper, not flown by Harrison Ford. <laughs> <laughs> and it just cuts to him shooting a gun. And although, you're like, okay. Al- although I will say... He looked fantastic on that 50 cal. He looked great, but you never got any sense of him contributing really to the fight. Like, it's just like, it would show a shot of him shooting a gun and you're like, okay, well, I guess he's doing something. Like, it never felt like he was an active participant in the end battle the way he did in the second one. And so that was kind of a bummer because 
you know, if you're going to make an Expendables movie uh, with all these action icons, you want to see Arnold doing something. And I don't think this movie gave him anything that interesting to do. I, I will say I did think it was a little bit, <laughs> a little bit confusing. Uh, so Barney Ross decides he needs to get out and get after uh, Mel Gibson's Stonebanks character as, as fast as he can. Right. And he figures the best way to both move quickly and to kill this character is to fire this experienced, capable team that he's been with forever. Correct. Uh, go meet up with Dr. Fraser Crane. Sure. And travel around the United States hiring inexperienced people that he's never worked with before. Correct. Uh, because, I, and I guess, I mean, he kind of explains that he needs to do this because he needs new blood and he needs people sure. who are literally expendable. And they are and expendable. Then, <laughs> and they are expendable. And then, so, okay, he needs new people. I, I'm with you. And then he also, then Schwarzenegger shows up and he says, okay, well, I'll, I'll take you along as yeah, well. Yeah, he's like, I, I owe you a favor. So it's like, okay, well, fair enough. Yeah, because it's weird because Barney Ross's arc in this movie seems to be he doesn't want any more of his own men to die. Because, you know, after Terry Crews is injured very severely, he's like, I can't have that happen to any of the rest of you. So instead of putting old people's lives at risk, he's willing to put young people's lives at risk. But he's <laughs> also like, willing to put uh, Schwarzenegger's as well. Yeah. So Barney uh, Ross is a very confused man. Probably not the brightest either. <laughs> Although I did like his line to, uh, to Schwarzenegger uh, when he's smoking the cigar and he's, he says something like, you know, you're an idiot. You're smoking a cigar next to uh, barrels of jet fuel. Yeah. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, that was pretty good. But, uh, yeah, his plan is very strange. And, yeah, I just wish Arnie had more to do. I mean, Arnie does have a scene at the end of the movie where they acknowledge that uh, Arnie and Jet Li are a gay couple. Which is a moment that, like, boy, the seeds are not planted for that one. That just kind of comes out of nowhere. I mean, it's, I guess, funny. I, I, is it supposed to be funny? I, I, don't, I don't even know what to make of it. Well, I was a little confused. I couldn't tell if they established that Jet Li and Arnold Schwarzenegger were actually a couple. I think they are. Or if Schwarzenegger and Jet Li were just kidding around for the benefit of Barney Ross. I think they are a couple. I, I agree with you. That's what I took away from it as yeah. well. But um, given some of the maybe more regressive attitudes yes. that, that this series has shown in the past... Uh, I'm surprised that that was the decision that they made. But here's the thing. I don't think this is a progressive decision. Because this movie in no way is going to pay any lip service whatsoever to these two characters having a relationship. It's completely off screen and ignored throughout the entire movie. And when they do mention it, it's as a joke. So that the audiences can like roll their eyes at it. It's not portrayed in a way where it's like respectful to these two characters. But with that context in mind, when you go back and you think about the looks of joy on their faces as they're both manning machine guns in this helicopter <laughs> and lovingly gunning down uh, people from uh, Asmanistan. Yeah, it, the, by the way, <laughs> the, the absolute worst army from army in the world wherever they are from if, if you can't handle if, if 15 of you can't handle one guy with a revolver yeah it's time to go back to training well that's why asmanistan fell so many years ago as well <laughs> yeah <laughs> my asmanian history is not quite up to snuff uh, so i don't know I, I mean i didn't get the impression that they were uh making fun of of trench and yin yang but don't you feel like it's sold in a way where it's kind of a cheap joke 
it doesn't feel to me particularly uh, respectful. I didn't find I didn't find it to be disrespectful, but it's not disrespectful. But it's <laughs> it's it's not willing to uh, commit. I don't either. understand what you're saying. Cameron. I'm saying like it's not willing to commit fully. It's like yeah, people you know who are <laughs> aren't open to this can just laugh at it as a as a cheap joke because it's framed in a way where it can be completely dismissed as a cheap joke. They are not committing to the fact that these two characters have a relationship. They're not giving you anything that would ever lead you to believe this is the case in the rest of this movie or in any of the previous movies. Well, maybe there'll be a spin-off series. Well, we'll see. We'll see. And I would be open to that. Although, at this point, I think Jet Li is just trying to find the door out of there. Because, <laughs> man, does that guy not want to be in these movies. I don't. I mean, he like I say, he keeps showing up, but maybe he, I think he wants to be there. He just he does not want to be there. I think Jet Li wants to be there. I think he's just so busy <laughs> that he doesn't have the time to spend as much time as he would like. He's like, oh, I'm reorganizing my spice rack. I'm a little busy. <laughs> I can give you two days. <laughs> well, I was glad that he showed up. I was worried that he wasn't going to be in the movie. So. I have a question for you. Did any of the new team work for you? Did any of them feel like characters you'd want to see in an Expendables 4? Uh, <laughs> you can be honest. <laughs> I mean, put it this way. is I, I didn't have a problem with any of them. I didn't think that the actors did a, did a bad job. Uh, but the answer is no, not really. Uh <laughs> Uh, really, when I when I go to see an Expendables movie, I want to see aging action stars kicking the hell out of bad guys. Yeah. If I want to see young, new, good-looking action stars, I'll go see any other action movie that's being released. Yes, except for the Liam Neeson ones. <laughs> and this movie's trying to make the, this argument that it's about meshing the old ways and the new ways. But I feel like the movie didn't really do a good job at that either, because... Yeah, okay. You have the one scene where um where Glenn Powell's character like jams a bomb with some sort of gun computer. I don't really understand that. It's I feel like within the Expendables world hacking is kind of like in the mid 90s like with the movies like The Net and Hackers. Yeah, hackers. Yeah. It's got a little bit of swordfish thrown in yeah, there. Yeah, swordfish, yeah, where it's like <laughs> octagon spinning on a screen bouncing around. <laughs> yeah, it's like you can kind of do anything based if you have some sort of just computer panel in front of you. But whatever the case, like, okay, so there's a little bit of hacking there, and there's a scene actually when they're doing a heist to capture uh, Mel Gibson's character where they lay out the plans and are knocking out surveillance systems and all that. I, I kind of like that stuff. That feels very heisty. It doesn't feel like the normal thing you see in, in an Expendables movie. But I also don't feel like when we get to that final action sequence, which is fine, um, but it's just characters running around gunning each other down. It's not showing like how the new people are helping like share their abilities with this older crew to overcome things. It's more just like everyone grab a gun and start shooting. Well, uh, it's hard to tell because the obvious stuntman had his helmet on. Oh, that's true. Um, you talking about the BMX rider? It wasn't a BMX. It was definitely a. Or not a, a, BMX. a, a, a <laughs> It'd be amazing if it was a BMX. <laughs> BMX would be pretty cool. But the dirt bike. The yeah, the dirt bike or the motorcycle. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought. You know, I mean, I think they had established that he was very good at motocross at some point. I don't know if they did, but I'll go along I'm, with I'm it. assuming Kelsey Grammer probably said something about it that I wasn't listening to. Kelsey Grammer said a lot of things. that <laughs> Very few of them were interesting. I enjoyed that. I thought that they made pretty good use of Ronda Rousey's 
physical abilities on screen and her abilities as as a performer she was definitely kicking the hell out of a lot of guys i think she fares best i think she's the only one you would keep <laughs> i genuinely think that i think if you're going to continue any of those characters into another movie she's the only one to hang on to the only one <laughs> i'd agree with you. i mean she definitely comes out on top in uh, in of, every fight <laughs> of the new characters yeah uh unless we're throwing in antonio banderas in there uh he was definitely also more memorable and then uh unfortunately kellen lutz's character glenn glenn powell's character <laughs> and victor ortiz's character yeah. they're all pretty interchangeable totally totally bland um so you know you put it off before what about kelsey Grammer? Like, is this character fun? Is he interesting in this movie? It was a rough year for Kelsey. <laughs> he won the Razzie Award for this movie. Well, not just this movie. I, it was, uh, he had done this movie, Legends of Oz, Dorothy's Return, Think Like a Man 2, and Transformers Age of Extinction. And that, that, uh, four shot there yeah. won him the, uh, worst actor of the year. I will say this. I actually think he's more fun in the Transformers movie. It's a terrible movie and one I would never, ever, ever watch again, unlike Expendables 3. But I think he was more fun as a villain in that movie. Mm-hmm. In this one, he's just... I mean, he's an exposition machine. His role is to sh- you know wander around and basically fly Stallone to like seven different locales and just introduce new team members. Yeah, it was very weird. I should say Arnold Schwarzenegger was also nominated for the Golden Raspberry right. that Kelsey ultimately won. <laughs> uh, but... Yeah, it's unfortunate. I got nothing against Kelsey Grammer, uh, but, I mean, it's such a weird thing for him to be in this movie. And for so long. Like, he's in the movie for, like, it feels like 15 or 20 minutes. It's probably not that long, but it feels like it. They're just driving around. Kelsey Grammer is throwing out non-sequiturs about, like, having cancer and then not having cancer and things like that. And you're like, okay. Like, I was convinced at the time we were watching it that this was cut footage that had been put back into the movie for this extended unrated cut. And I was wrong. Like, this was actually in the theatrical. I, and t- I told you. Yeah, you we, did, and I didn't believe you. You, you said it at the time, and I, I, I actually specifically remembered all of Kelsey Kramer's scenes, which <laughs> says what a caliber of actor he is, we'll say. <laughs> Tossed out and scrambled eggs for the win. Oh, but yeah. I mean, like, it's it just feels like time-wasting. And for a movie that's over two hours... There's no excuse for this character to have this much screen time talking about things that are not at all interesting or relevant to the movie. It's just weird. It is weird, and you keep waiting for him to do something besides take Barney Ross around. Like show up at the end, for example. Yeah. Or even be at the bar at the end. I don't care. Give him something. I mean, one of the things that they could have done with this whole bringing the team together thing is they really could have just introduced all of these characters at once, right? Yeah. They could have had Barney Ross go see uh, Kelsey Grammer at the um, the uh, you know the the bare knuckle boxing match in the Vegas Parkade. Yeah. Now I've been to Vegas a few times, uh, and I've been through the Parkades and some of the casinos. I've never had the fortune of witnessing a uh, sparsely attended bare knuckle boxing <laughs> match <laughs> but um but you know just have him say okay that, you need that's a, te- a circuit circus yeah you need a team yeah. okay great that's my job and then here's five of them and i'll introduce them all at once yeah instead of having uh you know the subscript of like a road trip 
Yeah, exactly. And then there's even a very strange scene in it where they're flying the plane, and then Kelsey Grammer says, "Oh, I, th- I think we've gone too far." And then they <laughs> they debate whether or not they're lost, and then they turn the plane around, and that's you know end scene. That is a scene made to be left on the cutting room floor. Yeah, <laughs> it's so weird. But yeah, and I also have to wonder. I I, I got to believe that Kelsey Grammer was probably a fairly late casting choice here yeah and at the same time i mean he's a fairly well-established actor he probably you know you know while not breaking the bank he probably wasn't a a, a rock bottom bargain basement price right and and why you, you gotta, yeah what was the what was the casting director uh thinking this that he would add to this movie and really do you think the price of Kelsey Grammer was made up in the box office that Kelsey Grammer specifically brought in. Did anybody go see this movie because they were a Fraser fan and they just wanted to see more Kelsey Grammer? No, not yeah. at all, not at all. So it's, it's just a very strange role for him to have. I wonder if this was like the Nick Cage role or something. Maybe, maybe it's it's it is strange, and it's a shame that they didn't give him a little bit more to do because he is a very talented actor. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I agree. It was a weird choice. But um, this movie, again, as we said right off the top, was pretty polarizing with people because of the PG-13. When you watch the movie now, does that bother you? If I didn't know that it was PG-13, I probably wouldn't have noticed, right. to be honest. One of the things about the first two Expendables movies that we've talked about in the past uh, is the use of CG in some places was overused, and one of those places was... I found where they were doing a lot of like the the gore and the blood splashes. Sure. And that. So it kind of had that that you know that cable TV blood look. Yeah. Um, and I actually found that I call it the, the killing Gunther blood look. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, basically blood on a budget. Yeah. Budget. <laughs> and I I didn't I didn't find that the movie to be honest lost a lot from from not having that that blood and gore uh the violence quotient was still i thought extraordinarily high yeah it's weird what you can get away with in a uh, pg-13 rated movie because i remember even in theaters and we saw the extended obviously with a little more violence to it but even in theaters i was like boy they killed something like 100 people i don't know how that's a pg-13 yeah they, they must have killed over 100 people in this movie yeah and um i do miss the blood though i feel like if, if you're gonna do an expendables movie you got to have impact to the violence. And this movie doesn't really have that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of scenes of characters getting stabbed off screen. You know, like, they'll swing the knife, but it's stabbing off screen. Things like that. And I'm like, eh. Like, if you're going to give me this movie that's rock bottom stupid for most of it. And, um, you know, fill it out with iconic action stars famous for these R-rated action movies. Don't give me this kind of, you know, pulling the punches type stuff. It's not, like, as offensive in this movie as I found it, say, in, like, Taken 2, where they were, like, editing things down to the point where, like, it didn't even make sense. I feel like you've got a real thing for Liam Neeson. <laughs> I love some of his stuff, but I hate some of it, too. But, um, yeah, so, like... Not to be confused with Liam Hemsworth. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> See our Expendables 2 episode for that reference. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just felt like if you're gonna give me an Expendables movie, go all the way... It doesn't make me dislike the movie more than I, you know, would have otherwise. But it just makes me go, like, what's the point? Like, why bother? 
Uh, there's enough PG-13 rated action movies for teenagers out there. This movie was, yeah, co-written by the two people that um, wrote the uh, Olympus Has Fallen and London Has Fallen movies. And those movies are like, you know, B-level bloody action movies. And yeah, they're pretty dumb, but they're also kind of fun. And that's pretty, kind of, pretty enjoyable, really. Pretty enjoyable, at least, especially the first one. You not know what, so, not you, so much the second. You know what you're getting into. Exactly. But I feel like that way with The Expendables t- as well. Like, I know what I'm getting into, at least deliver that. And so, if you're going to sacrifice that to bring in, like, a young cast and a Fast and the Furious font on your poster, and then a lot of talk about family, which is also a Fast and the Furious theme. And like, uh, not to mention Jason Statham, but we won't. Yeah, yeah, well, that can yeah, yeah. Um, but it's kind of like, eh, it just makes it less interesting to me. I don't know. And, you know, I do take some comfort in knowing that it seems they learned a lesson from that, and that if there is an Expendables 4, it will be R-rated again. Yeah, I... I... Like, just I, remember some of those Jason Statham knife scenes in the previous movies. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I mean, I always prefer an R-rated movie over a PG-13 one, because, because I'm a, I guess I'm a sadist. But, uh, but at the same time, I thought that the action, even though it maybe wasn't as bloody or didn't have the same level of impact, I thought, by and large, it was pretty fun and pretty well done. Yeah, in terms of direction, it was fine. Although there's still those classic moments of Expendables physics where you just laugh out loud. Like, there's a scene early on that I was laughing at where um, Terry Crews is on a boat firing a Gatling gun up in the air and then it's showing (laughs) the bullets coming down and, like, taking out all the targets, like, raining down on targets from an angle that is... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> pointing downward. Yeah, there was definitely a few scenes like that. Uh, I'm I'm pretty confident that no vehicle ever has ever moved in the way that the vehicles in this move <laughs> move. Or a um or a, a dirt bike jumps like seven stories in the air. <laughs> you got to admit that scene was pretty phenomenal. It was hilarious. I think he jumped off of an airplane tail, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, I, I or, or something right. something like that. Yeah. Uh, a lot of yeah, a lot of conveniently uh, built up dirt landings for said motorbike. Yes. But uh, on that subject, were there any of the action sequences that you felt really stood out? I'd say probably the opening one. I think that's probably the best one on the train. Yeah, on the on the the prison train, and you have that moment where like they set up like the tripwire, and it cuts down like. <laughs> So see, 20 people now that's that's one of the scenes where if it had been r-rated i think yep. it, i think it would have been a lot more it would have been like that movie ghost ship where it's just like gore galore mm-hmm. the uh I, I really liked what i really liked about that scene was the um it kept cutting back to i guess the the prison warden or dictator or whoever he was standing yeah. in front of a portrait of himself of course yeah <laughs> as they all do yeah and even like the second action scene which dovetails off the first one pretty quickly there's like a whole extended chase inside a warehouse. <laughs> the longest warehouse in the world. Yeah, where it's so goofy. That's the kind of thing I guess I look for in my Expendables action sequences. Like, I really liked in the second one in the intro, where they were on those flying foxes that went for like <laughs> like 15 miles, it seemed like, in a straight <laughs> line. Are you talking about the zip line? Yeah, the zip line, yeah. Yeah, no, that was pretty on a live wire, no less. Yeah, yeah. That's the sort of stuff I want in these Expendables action sequences, and I feel like I got more of it in the opening of this movie than I did later in the movie. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I thought that the opening couple of action sequences were as good an action sequence as we've seen in Expendables movies. Yeah. The with 
with Wesley Snipes being a little bit more involved and a lot of really cool vehicle stuff. Yeah. Uh, the boat jumping onto the flatbed truck. And just, I think it would be hard enough just to hang on to uh, a pickup truck that is jumping off hills and crashing into other trucks and that kind of thing, let alone stand there and accurately fire uh, a fifty caliber machine gun at, at incoming enemies. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, yeah, I wish, like, the mid-heist sequence had been a little more exciting. Like, I thought that one was kind of dull. That was a little dull, and it, it did lull a little bit in the middle where they're bringing the gang together and Kelsey Grammer's yeah. giving his expo- exposition. Like, I think if you look, just pacing-wise, at the, f- the first two Expendables movies, I mean, they aren't any great works of art, but, like, I think the pacing on them is pretty good. You move from those, you know, the beginning right through at a pretty good clip, whereas, mm-hmm. like, this one, you got a really energetic opening, like, flatlining in the middle for a lot of it, and then, like, a pretty energetic ending. Mm-hmm. And that's not great. That's not really what you want in an action movie, is to just have a very talky middle half. Yeah, and as Schwarzenegger fans, not enough Schwarzenegger talking. Well, of course, of course. So what did you think of the Barney Ross arc of this movie? Because, like... This movie is very much about Barney's character journey. Like, did you feel like... uh, Look, Stallone seemed very invested in this, but do you think it really worked that well? Especially when you're removing the original team for, like, vast stretches of the movie. Not really. I actually think that Barney Ross is not really the most interesting character on The Expendables. I don't think he's anywhere near the most interesting. So, and it seems like his arc was really... Okay, he gets upset that a friend's been shot again. Yeah. Um, and decides, well, that's it. I'm disbanding the group, but I'm still going to go out and try and kill a bunch of people. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to get a bunch of new people. Yeah. And maybe have them killed. Yeah. And then when they're captured, bring the old people back in to go do exactly the same thing that he was going to go do before. Yeah. And then realize that old and new, everyone's cool. Yeah. It just seems a little bit... In terms of a character arc, it's really not that good. I mean, it's a good place to frame a few action sequences, but not really a good place to build a character. I don't know what you think. I think it would have been more interesting if you have Barney and Ross getting kind of pushed to the edge over this revenge he wants with on the Mel Gibson character, and the team having to remind him what matters and that like they are a family, whereas Mel Gibson stands alone. Like, I think it would be more interesting to have the uh, the uh, Sylvester Stallone character kind of being drawn more towards the darkness that the Mel Gibson character fell into. Mm-hmm. I or, think that's something. Or you, you It know, gives the team more to do. Or you know what would be kind of interesting? would have Barney Ross be captured at some point in the movie. Sure. I thought that the inter- interactions between Stonebanks and Barney Ross were some of the more interesting dialogue in the movie. I agree. Have, have a little bit more of that and have the, you know, the new team and the old team have to work together on their own without their leader to go in and, yeah, and yeah. rescue him. Something like that. Sure. Yeah, I think there's other ways around it other than what Stallone seems really drawn in this franchise, these stories where Barney Ross gets really mopey and just depressed. And I'm like, that's not the most interesting story. Mm -hmm. I don't think being moody and brooding is like the quality that makes a character at their best. Mm -hmm. You know, or qualities that really emphasize what makes them great. And so, yeah, to me, I've always been a bit iffy on that with these, especially these latter two Expendables. Um, I guess, you know, we should start to wrap it up. Well, before we do, we've gone through a lot of the characters in this movie. Uh, it would be a shame not to mention 
Robert Davi as oh, of course, yeah. as, the, as the head of the Albanian mafia. He's he's not there for very long. No, he is not. He was featured pretty prominently in uh, Raw Deal, which, which we did an episode on. Yeah, we, a few, we, we did you know, fairly a recently. Uh, he was pretty prominent in Predator Two, which we did as a special follow up to our Predator episode, and and he was also he also appeared in showgirls which we've talked about a lot as part of our ongoing examination into the collapse of carol Cole. <laughs> there'll be more on that in the future i'm sure yeah. <laughs> i actually think they should have made davy more of a prominent villain because i think the uh, previous two benefited from having characters like stone cold steve austin or gary daniels those like actors backing up the villains you've got some fight mm-hmm. scenes and you got some, you know, a bit of interaction with the team because Stallone is always going to be the one taking on your main heavy, whether it's Van Damme or um, or uh, Mel Gibson. So like, it would have been great to have had a secondary baddie to have a fight scene with like Statham or whatever. I mean, I know there is like a big guy. I think that's uh, Ivan Kostadinov as Krug. I think. But I'm not familiar with him. Like, I think it would have been better that's, to have... That's what it says in the cast, although I don't yeah. think they actually named his character in no. the movie. No, he just shows up randomly he and He was just a, dis- a kind of a disposable heavy. Yeah, it would have been more fun to have someone with some personality come in. And, you know, it would have been great to have Robert Davi have a shootout with, like, Randy Couture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, something like that could have been really cool. But, whatever. Maybe for The Expendables 4. So, like, why don't we give our final thoughts? And then we're going to talk a little bit just about our rankings for the series and... You know, this potential Expendables 4 that is rumored to potentially be happening, but we'll see. So, Tony, what is your final thoughts on Expendables 3? I don't think it's changed much from when we started this episode, and I don't think that had changed much from when I first saw Expendables 3, which is, it is um, dependable, fairly disposable action. It's great to see all these old actors. It's always great to see guys like... Um, Dolph Lundgren and Jet Li and especially Arnold Schwarzenegger showing up even if it's only for a little bit of screen time and hanging out and killing a few people but this movie is okay but it could have been done a lot better and and while it didn't totally meet all of my hopes or dreams or expectations it's not a it's not a disappointment by any means it's a lot of fun to watch if anything I'd say the one place that it could improve is it Probably could have been trimmed a bit. Maybe another 10 or 15 minutes off the top would have done a lot of good for this movie. Yeah, I can agree definitely with that. Yeah, Um, I mean, I'm kind of, I think, maybe a little more negative on this one. But I don't think it's terrible. I just think it doesn't have the feverish inspiration that the first one has. And, you know, The Expendables ultimately is kind of a novelty franchise. Because none of these movies are good enough to be a legitimately good franchise like these are you know not the early terminator movies or even the predator early predator movies like these movies are very much kind of like yep you're getting the same thing each time out and it just depends on how much you want to stomach this sort of stuff before you go i've seen this i think i'm done with it you know they're not exactly bringing new flavors to uh, each movie really mixing it up in interesting radical ways you know and they're not building to anything, you know, really exciting either. It's just like, yep, come and have the same old adventures and hopefully you enjoy this cast. And this one's more <laughs> the same. It's just not as weird or out there as the first one. And um, it just doesn't have the, uh, like, some of the really cool visceral action of the second one. I mean, someone got thrown into, like, a chopper rotor in the second one. And it was great. You know? And, like, it's just, I you know, I'd forgotten about that. That's an excellent point. That's yeah. one of the benefits of our rating. Yeah, like, stuff like that is just great. Uh, whereas like this one, yeah, it's fine. 
I would never say that I will never ever watch this movie again. I probably will see Expendables 3 again at some point in my life, but I think it's probably the weakest, but not by a like huge margin or anything. Okay, so I mean, how would you rank these movies? Are these are these ones that is it is it 1 2 3 or did you prefer 2 over the first one or or how does it stack up in your mind? I mean, I'm pretty easy on this. I go 1 2 3. To me, it's like a very clean cut one, two, three. And, you know, the first one I think is the most fun. The second one um, has some really fun performances, but it's just not as good. Uh, and then this one is, you know, as I said, PG-13, lacking kind of the visceral action. And, you know, it spends too much time with boring characters. Yeah, I, I wish this could be a, a, a fruitful debate, but I'm kind of going to have to agree with you. Where yeah. If the first movie was just totally bananas really in some ways it's the worst of them and in some ways it is because in a lot of places it doesn't make a lot of sense yeah the dialogue is atrocious yeah and the second one it's kind of somewhere in the middle between the third one and the first one it's maybe a little bit of a better made movie but not really a better movie yeah it's like almost like the expendables movies got more and more respectable as they went yeah it's too bad they're not called the respectables yeah well they might be with the fourth one (laughs) So, do you want to see a fourth one? I remember reading a quote by Stallone before Expendables 3 was released where he was pretty adamant that it was going to be the last one. Yeah. Because uh, he said it was something along the lines of when people go see the Expendables, they don't want to see them wearing Dependables. Right. <laughs> so, I wouldn't mind seeing an Expendables 4. Uh, I, I definitely, I've enjoyed all three of the Expendables movie. But I'd like to see it done right, and I'd like to see them not try and bloat it up with all of these younger cast members if it can be helped. Yeah, I'm with you there. I don't know that this movie's ever going to happen. Stallone has said, you know, he signed on to do it. But, like, since then there's been, like, weird complications where, like, Terry Crews um, has uh, an ongoing sexual, at the time of this recording, has an ongoing sexual harassment or assault, I believe a lawsuit against um, a former agent from the, from the William Morris agency. And a- Abby and, Lerner, who is, I believe, the producer, and I think did the casting in this as well. Yeah, of the Expendables movies, is apparently put pressure on Terry Crews to drop the lawsuit. And so Terry Crews has said he is out of the Expendables franchise. And has subsequently, I, I believe, alluded to the fact that Lerner himself may have some sexual harassment issues. Um I'm not quite clear, and I don't. I don't want to say anything without without knowing all the details. But there's clearly some some issues between Cruz. He's out. Yeah, he's out. And like originally, Stallone said he was out, and then Schwarzenegger said he was out as well. But now Stallone's back, so I don't know if Schwarzenegger is going to come back because he's there. Like it's all pretty confusing. But it also doesn't really matter because at this point in time, they were supposed to have started like shooting this movie like. Right around the time we're recording this, there's been no talk about a director, about casting, about anything. I don't even know if there's a screenplay. Uh, Stallone seems very busy doing other things. He's potentially in the Marvel Universe. We don't know. Um, he's just, you know, Creed 2 has just come out, but he's also got the final Rambo movie coming up. Mm-hmm. I feel like Stallone is not hurting for work. And so I just don't know if uh, not- if Expendables 4 is on the, the menu anytime soon. And, you know, Jason Statham and Jet Li are, are still pretty busy as well. Jet Li is not coming back. 
<laughs> there is no way Jet Li is coming back. I want to see this relationship between Yin Yang and Trench develop. Harrison Ford is not coming back. That's probably a Bruce good Willis is not coming back. Well, so you're kind of like, who's Bruce left? Bruce Willis will come back if he gets 15 million yeah. for one day of work and he has no lines. <laughs> yeah, I mean Robert Davi will come back, but I feel like the number of people you're gonna get back is very small, and unless you get like maybe like Jackie Chan in or something like that. Uh, I, I don't know if they have that many more people to draw on. They're definitely not bringing Seagal in at this point in time. No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And I know that there was also rumors that they were going to do a female-driven spinoff called The Expendables. That makes, actually, I think, a lot of sense right now, as a lot of studios are trying to put out more female-fronted action movies. Mm-hmm. you got to wonder if that's really... The, if, this, if this franchise is really the best vehicle for that, though. Yeah, I would say give them the, their own franchise as opposed to like a spinoff of what I think would be pretty much considered a B-grade franchise. Yeah, which has had issues with uh, female agency <laughs> throughout the series, which we've remarked on in our previous episodes. Yeah, yeah. And I know that they'd rumored uh, at the time that like Zoe Bell might be attached and like uh, Gina Carano and, you know, actresses like that. But... I also don't know that they have necessarily the firepower to launch like a you know a hundred million dollar blockbuster. I don't know. We'll see. But yeah, I, we'll I, see. I think this movie may be kind of dead in the water until they maybe can lock down some maybe more like bankable talent. Like if Mila Jovovich came in, maybe they can get something going. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll see. But yeah, do you think uh, Expendables 4 is something that will happen? You never know. I, I don't think it's as dead as some of the other projects that we've talked on here. I don't think this is like a Triplets, for example. Sure, or a uh, follow-up to The Predator. Yeah, I, I don't think it's anything qu- quite so far-fetched. So it, it may happen. You know that there has been some level of pre-production and planning going into it. We just don't really know how far that's gotten. And you know what? I thought Stallone was done with Rambo after the movie Rambo in 2008. Mm-hmm. I was wrong. We have Last Blood coming up soon, so I believe this year. And yeah. so you just never know with Stallone. God, he works a lot, eh? I know, right? And he just loves to dig up his old franchises. Yeah. So Well, I'm glad he does. I always enjoy him. I could even see like an Expendables movie that came out, I don't know, like a decade down the road, where like Barney Ross is kind of like the Charlie from Charlie's Angels figure. Or the Rocky from Creed. Yeah, but who's like bringing together a new team and it's the action heroes of today. You know, it's like maybe Liam Neeson's there and Nick Cage. I don't, know, I don't and... know what your deal is with Liam Neeson, but well, I think you've mentioned him several <laughs> times on this episode. And, and I'm going to have to go back and re-listen to some of our older episodes because I, I, I feel like Liam Neeson comes up a lot. And, and the pictures that you've got all around your room of him sure. are a little bit disconcerting. If they're going to do an Expendables movie... Liam Neeson is, I think, the only actor left that you have to bring in. That would be interesting. I, yeah, now you're kind of sold on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that would be pretty good. I'd, I'd go see that. Okay, so I think that wraps up The Expendables 3 and, for now, The Expendables franchise. Tony, what are we doing next time? Well, we're going to go from 2014 all the way back to one of Schwarzenegger's very early roles on a made-for-TV movie called The Jane Mansfield Story. And it's it's one of those movies I haven't seen. Cameron, I don't think you've seen it. Nope. So it'll be fresh eyes, and it'll be a very young, pre-Conan, pre-stardom Arnold Schwarzenegger in a dramatic role as Jane Mansfield's 
husband. So I'm taking a guess that the the people who are out there streaming and downloading our Expendables 3 podcast probably haven't seen this movie either. Uh, if you haven't, uh, by all means, uh, we, we took a look. Apparently someone's posted it up on YouTube, so it's available to stream for free. Yeah. You can probably find it on other streaming services or download services if you have them. So so take a look. I can't re- make a recommendation yet, but uh, it's going to be fun to watch and review and explore a little bit. I mean, I'm a Lonnie Anderson diehard, so this is really exciting. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It is also starring Lonnie Anderson. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Pre-Burt Reynolds Lonnie Anderson, <laughs> I believe. Okay. So you can also find us at Pod on Twitter. You can email us at ArnieGeddonPod at gmail.com. I'm at Cam V is in very into Antonio Banderas elbow pads, Smith. <laughs> yeah, you can find me, uh, Tony G, that's Tony like the name, G like the letter, at arnigen.com. Okay, so we'll be back with the Jane Mansfield story. <laughs> <laughs> oh my-